Well, good morning. This morning, we're going to do something a little different. Um, before I preach, I want to spend a few minutes in prayer as a congregation. You know, Jesus said, um, he said, my house shall be called a house of preaching. He didn't actually say that. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And every time we gather and worship, that is what we're doing. It's just prayer to music. Um, but I also want to spend a little bit of intentional time this morning praying for what's going on over in Israel. Uh, and part of the direction I have for that, actually, if I'm going to be, my wife told me, she's like, just, just be honest with people. It actually came out of, for me, uh, Jeremiah 25. And I'll let you go home and read it. Oh, fair warning. Um, it took me all week to process this message, so I barely have any scriptures up there for you. If you need a Bible, there's free Bibles right back there. Grab one and you can follow along. Um, but in Jeremiah 23, um, the Lord actually rebukes his shepherds. And it's really a scathing rebuke of his shepherds for not caring for his people. And I said, Lord, what are you talking about? Like, I don't, I don't understand why my heart is drawn to this verse, this section of scripture. And, and what I really felt like, um, a place maybe that, um, let's just say I could, we could care for our, the flock of God a little bit more in, is, is uh, direction in, in how to process what's happening in Israel. Anybody agree? Like, there's a lot going on there. Now, this morning, fair warning, I'm not going to talk about... Um, we're going to go through this as a way of prayer. This isn't about military strategy. Leave that to people that are not, that's not my business. My business is what does the Bible say? And how do we as, as, as the family of God come together? Let me start off with saying this, that you cannot get a godly perspective of what's happening in the Middle East from news or your social media stream. You can get a perspective. It's probably not a godly one. We must recognize that the standard that we have comes from the living word of God. Everything we need to know about how to stand with, pray for, intercede, position ourselves in the times we live in is actually in this book, and it goes for even greater than what's going on in Israel. Some paint God, um, you'll, if you, well, if you're breathing, you'll know this to be true. Some paint God as a cold-hearted warmonger with no compassion, and other, others paint God as a pacifist who has no practical sense of justice or strength. The truth is that he's neither. The psalm says, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. The psalms also say that he is the Lord who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord who is good to all and he has compassion on all he has made. Amen? Do you know that to be true this morning? It helps if there's a little interaction. Psalm 144 actually says that God trains our hands for war and our fingers for battle. Isaiah 6 prophesies the birth of Jesus and calls him one of his most well-known titles that he is to be the Prince of Peace. So is God schizophrenic? <laughs> is he bipolar? You know what I'm saying? That you get, there's like a tension in Scripture of truth where we see God as this God who is strong in battle and mighty in battle. And there's also this God that's rich in compassion and slow to anger. You follow along with me? Up and down to yes, side to side for no. Has he changed? No, he's not changed. That, which, which actually is a heresy that, that we all run into at one point or another where we look at the Old Testament and we say, well, that God was angry and blah, blah, blah. But, but then Jesus came and now God's kind. Well, that's just a heresy because God doesn't change. The God of Genesis is the God of Revelation and everywhere in between. Amen. Hey, well, that's good feedback. <laughs> <laughs> Psalm 
So this morning we're going to pray. Here's the problem. We need to be a holy people to see a holy God in such an unholy world. People are creating whole theologies around their own favorite scriptures that reduce God down to their own political leanings. And most of them, and, and, and that's not even an accusation because many people have... Many um, people you see on social media, that's coming out of a place of compassion on one side or another, right? I mean, the truth of it is, you, you could look at either side of this and find compassionate people who are against the other side. I get that. We're going to pray through a number of strategic prayer points for Israel, for the people of Gaza, and for America. And I will talk through each one, and then I want to give a moment of prayer. And what I want to do is I want to invite you to do one of two things. Agree with me in prayer. Um, and actually open your mouth. I loved how the, none of this is planned, which is really funny. Like, if you think we orchestrate Sunday mornings, to some degree it's planned, but we don't know what we're all doing. And Pastor Steve comes up and talks about a vertical response and open your mouth, and I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the same thing. Um, it's just really funny. And then this worship team kind of lingers on this place of the holiness of God, and I'm like, that's my message later. Um, so I think God's in our midst. But what I want you to know is we're going to spend a few minutes to pray, and I'm going to pray, but I invite you to pray as well. Open your mouth and agree with me. Agree with the word of God, not with me, because I'm going to give us scriptural standards to, to pray by. Agree with the word of God. Lift up your voice and pray those prayers of agreement with you. I'll talk through each one. I'll encourage you to lift your voice and either join with me in prayer or pray in union as the Spirit leads you. All right, so let's start off, because I just want to give a scriptural basis for this question. How then shall, shall we pray for Israel? The question starts with, do you think God cares how we pray for Israel? I think he does. Uniquely, it is a little bit bizarre, but there's a uniqueness to Israel that I think God um, does care how we pray for Israel. Uh, Paul puts it kind of this way. He says, make no mistake, you might have been the, the branch grafted into the vine, but Israel's the root. Right? There's a, there's a connection between the people of God here sitting in this church and the people of God in the Holy Land of Israel and his Jewish people. Okay, so we're going to read a lot of scripture Let's turn to, with me to Psalm 122. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. Page 756. <laughs> Psalm 122 says this. is. Um, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is close, closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord, according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. And here it is in verse 6. Pray, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. It's always a safe prayer to simply pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen? Amen. Genesis 17, 8. I listened to, I don't know if I'm going to say this later, so I'll say it now. I, listened to, I happened to listen to an um, Orthodox Jewish rabbi. I think his name was... Uh, I remember his name, Wolanicki, living in Jerusalem. And he was on a video conversation, and somebody basically asked him this question. 
do you think there is any spiritual undertones to the reality of the war that's going on? And he laughed and he said, here's the reality. What you call the Christian Old Testament, what we call the Bible, um, states that the Jewish people were given this land by God himself. If that is not true, then none of this makes any sense. It's hard for us to wrap our head around, right? But let's read Genesis 17, verse 8. The whole land of Canaan, which is the land we're speaking of, where you now reside as a foreigner, God says, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. It's very unique, right? As, as New Testament Christians in Biddeford, Maine, we don't have a, a word of the Lord saying, the Lord gives us Biddeford, right? Or gives us Maine. That's not how it is. We, we, are, we are a people that are um, in the world, but not of it. We're just kind of we're mixed into the crowd, but God actually has a desire that his people would be given a land because that land is God's land, and that city is God's city. And at the end of the book, when this whole thing comes to an end, the Bible actually talks about Jesus returning and his feet will literally be walking once again on the soil we know as Israel, as all the nations turn to that place which for ages and ages we fought over. Amen. There's, so there's, all I say that say there's something about that land Genesis 17, 8 says, God, I gave it, I gives it to my people as an everlasting possession, he says. And then the last one, so we can, we can pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we can pray for God's people in that land, and we can pray, uh, Romans 10, 1 is a great place for us to pray. Um, and it's simply this. I'll get there in a minute. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, this is Paul, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. If you read through what the scriptures talk about in the fact that we as New Testament believers are grafted into the vine, it act, the vine of Israel, it actually talks about, that's just for a season, it's called the time of the Gentiles, but God's heart is that his whole people would be saved and we're a part of that. And so Paul's saying, pray for the, pray for the salvation of the Israelites. So this morning... Will you stand with me, and can we together pray for peace in the Middle East, recognizing that Jesus is both the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he's also the victorious warrior riding on a white horse at the end of the age. Amen? And it may be a little bit awkward. Mary asked if I wanted to do it during worship. I thought, no. I mean, it might be easier sometimes for those of us to raise our voices, um, but I just encourage you um, to raise your own voice. Close your eyes. Don't, be, don't worry about those around you, but just... Say, okay, what is my responsibility, Lord, to pray your heart? Maybe the scripture says that the, um, we lift up holy hands in prayer. Some of you might just want to lift your hands in prayer in agreement. And we're going to pray this, and I'm going to take you through a few more prayer points in the same way. Father, your word encourages us to pray first and foremost for our leaders. It says that in Romans. This we do this morning as we lift up by name Benjamin Netanyahu as prime minister of Israel, Ismail Henaneh, I don't even know who that is, head of the Hamas Political Bureau, and Joe Biden, our own president. We ask you, Father, that you would give these men wisdom, that they would pursue peace with one another, that you would turn their hearts toward peace. We ask for open communication and motivation to come together for the benefit of their people. We pray as your scripture encourages us for the peace of that place called Jerusalem, that physical city, as the scripture asks us to lift up our voices. May the land that Jesus walked in peace 
Know his peace in this hour. May you protect your holy city. And we pray, Father, for the salvation of the Jewish people, that all Israel would come to know the Messiah as their Lord and Savior. Amen? Stay standing. Does the Lord mean, does this mean that the Lord doesn't hear the cry of the people in Gaza? And I would say absolutely not. I don't believe the heart of the Lord is cold toward anybody, those, especially those that are in a war zone. I believe that we are to pray for, their mercy, for his mercy upon them. I, I believe we're to pray for the deliverance from the terrorist organization called Hamas and ultimately for the salvation of the people that live there. Do you know, I have the privilege um, of having a friend in our congregation who lived in that territory uh, for a num quite a number of years during either the first or I forget second intifada, I forget the, the time. And he said, Tom, you have to understand, um, not even all the Palestinians like Hamas, many of them have a heart toward peace. They just want to be good moms and dads. They just want to work hard for their families. And, and, and it's almost impossible in some circumstances to do that. So Father, this morning, we know that your heart leans toward mercy. And for the innocent civilians on all sides of this conflict, we do pray for your mercy. For those that live in Gaza who are innocent in all this, we ask for your protection. For our Christian brothers and sisters, we pray for their deliverance. For families that are grieving the loss this morning of loved ones from terrorist attacks and acts of war, be with them and comfort them. Lord, for those um, that are trying to flee south even yet, would you help them and make a way where they're being stopped? And we pray that this day that your mercy that none of us deserves would be upon everyone involved in this war. And what about America? We say, why would you pray for America in this? Well, if it's not enough, everything we just said, um, I heard through the UK telegram um, that the US is now positioning two strike, uh, carrier strike groups in the Middle East. Um, could be for humanitarian aid, but it would seem that things are escalating very quickly. The scripture is clear about the role of governments. In Romans 13, 4, says this, but if you do wrong, be afraid of rulers. Be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They, they, this is the craziest New Testament scripture to wrap your head around if you know Jesus. But they are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. In the midst of this truth, may we still lean into mercy. Lord, Lord God, we pray this morning, Father, for your mercy on our own nation. The last thing we need is another war. May you turn the tide of hate and violence and stay the hand of war this morning. Lord, we ask for your help with our military leadership to lead with godly wisdom and do what is right and just in your eyes. In all that we do, in all that we pray today, we recognize that we only see in part. We have revelation in part, we know in part, but you, Father, see the end from the beginning. So we pray the prayer that Jesus prayed ultimately in Gethsemane. Lord, not our will, but yours be done. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Was that helpful at all? Man. I, I, I don't know how as Christians we don't, we, uh, and I don't think we do, but man, I think it's just grieving the heart of a lot of us to process through all this. And as a pray, praying people, um, I, I think that's got to be a, a number one priority for us. Amen? All right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for walking through that with us. Keep the people of uh, that region in your prayers. <clears throat> okay. The title of my sermon, I have two. It was set apart. And then uh, on the front row, I felt like the Holy Spirit just said, there's a brush fire. Not a dumpster fire, a brush fire. <laughs> and you'll get, oh, we'll get there. 
And what I want to talk about today is holiness. And I believe he, he said there's a brush fire because it's not me preaching, hey, we should do something. It's me almost prophetically talking about what the Lord is doing in our midst. For some of you, you're going to say, this is exactly where I'm at. The Holy Spirit has been burning this in me over the last days, weeks, and months, years maybe. For others of you, um, this may be a little bit of a new message. And I would just encourage you, get around those that say, oh, no, no, I'm already here. I'm already set on fire. That brush fire is already going. Because the thing about a brush fire is it's hard to stop. <laughs> and that is, that is God's heart uh, with, with creating holy people. So turn with me. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Look, at, I have to go back and forth till I can find I decided to pull a new Bible off the shelf. Come on, where are you at there? There we go. Also, we bought these Bibles in the back that are wonderful, then they quit printing them. So now we have new Bibles that are gigantic print. Amen. I'm getting to that age where I love that. On the, on the other Bibles, I have to take my glasses off to see what I'm reading. Okay. So uh, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, and may it come to us um, in such a way that we would be, myself included, that we would be forever changed by it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? It was interesting to me hearing uh, in our song set this morning, which I didn't necessarily pay too much attention to, I didn't know where they were going, um, the team just began to land on the holiness of God. And although we're talking about um, his people being holy, the foundation of that whole thing is it's because he's holy, right? That's what it just said here. It says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So the first thing to do, um, let's just walk through this just a little bit. Therefore, with your minds that are alert and fully sober, paying attention, recognizing that, hey, we're supposed to think through things. We're supposed to use that mind God gave us to walk this Christian life out. We're led by faith, we're led by our heart, but we don't want to lose the fact that our mind is a tool God's given us to wrap our head around truths of Scripture and make them, help them play out in our own life. It says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. I think it's easy when we live in a relatively peaceful area, you know, let's just say compared to where we were just praying for. If you lived in Gaza right now, um, you might, it might be right, right to say that the situation is somewhat hopeless, right? I mean, depending, I, I, I've read reports, and I'm sure you have, of people trying to flee south, and they're not allowed to flee south, and things are happening, and it, it's somewhat hopeless. And so anything in our day and age um, has to be tempered with the reality that our hope, although valid, Christ is alive today. Our hope is an eternal hope. 
Amen? If you read through Hebrews 11, it talks about the great men and women of faith. Many of them died in their faith, not, not receiving the promise that they had been promised. In other words, God's like, my promises are, are eternal. They're, they're not just for right now. And although I believe God comes in the here and now to invades our space, he says, set your hope on that which is eternal. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And that's something I think um, as we process through everything to remember I just love that whole phrase. I mentioned it before, that phrase. That there is a, you read through Revelation, you read through Ezekiel, some of these prophetic books. Jesus is coming back. His feet will literally be in some of the areas that have just experienced devastation in Israel. There's actually a valley the Bible actually talks about where he's going to come and stand there and bring judgment to the nations physically. And if, if we don't keep that reality in our mind that we just don't serve some high and lofty thought. We serve a king who's coming back. That puts everything in perspective. It says the nations will, be, will come to worship him. It have, and it suggests that those that don't, they won't get rain on their nation until they do. Like he's a king. He, he's a king. He's, he's going to come riding on a white horse with a sword in his hand. And I just think that, that hope, that that reality that, no, no, this all has a greater purpose than even just what we're walking through today. As obedient children, verse 14, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Amen? If you've lived in ignorance, you say, oh, me, that's me. I get it. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. So I, I asked the Lord, I said, hey, a couple things. Um, Give me a picture of what holiness is. I think one of the things um, that's really helpful for me is to see, I'm a visual person, I wanna kind of process through what that looks like, you know? And holiness simply means this. It simply means being set apart. For the Christian, the definition would be set apart for God or set apart, set apart by God. But to be set apart, sanctified would be the religious term for, or, or um, um, what do I wanna say? Not sanctified. Anyhow, set apart. I'm, I lost my train of thought. Um, so that's the definition we're going to use for holiness. When we talk about God being holy, what we're actually saying is there's, he's literally in a class of his own. It's not that there's the God and his opposite, the devil. No, no, no. There's the God and he created the devil, right? So he's all by himself. He's set apart. There's nobody like him. Um, if we were to search a thousand years, you'd never find anyone that, that comes close to who God is. And God says, I want you to be holy as I'm holy. And so I said, how do we, how do we explain holiness? And I feel like the Lord took me to my, one of my very favorite scriptures, so I'm very excited to share with you. Um, Exodus chapter 33. I have always loved this, this scripture because honestly, um, you ever see those shows where they have like the, like the law enforcement dogs? And I feel like once they get like their law enforcement vest on or whatever it is that kind of turns them on, you know, they're like a dog licking and playing fetch, but then they kind of go get all business. Man, they get ready to go. They're ready to get that thing. They're ready to find that child. They're going to find the drug stuck in the wall. I feel like when I, when I read uh, Exodus, it's like something stirs within me because I realize it's like an invitation from the Lord. We're going to read about how the, Moses actually encountered the Lord. And the reason I call it an invitation is because the way, he, if, if, if we actually put ourselves in his shoes, the way Moses encountered the Lord, oh, it's, it just makes me tremble. He, he encountered the Lord face to face like you talk to a friend. 
when he would walk down to this place of encounter with the Lord, it says all Israel would stand up at attention, recognizing that he's meeting with God. And then in Hebrews, it says, yeah, you have a better covenant than that. How much am I missing? Right? What's available to us as Christians in our walk with Jesus that Moses, who wasn't even in our covenant, experienced? God says, no, I'm in you. Moses had to go to a place to encounter that. You are that place. Amen? So this morning, we want, that's the context. Um, and we'll go there. Uh, Exodus 33. I think this is such a f- fantastic... Um, all right. And it's verse 7. We're going to just read through 11. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting, which I think is kind of funny because I feel like he just made a name up. He's like, I'm going to put a tent out there and we're just going to call it the tent of meeting. I don't think the Lord told him to say that. Anyone inquiring uh, of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, the visible very presence of the Lord, would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. We're not going to talk about the last verse, but that, that, that thing would preach all by itself. The one who didn't leave the tent ends up being the one bringing him into the promised land. That's a sermon for another day. But let's start. I just want to walk down through this. Verse 7, now Moses used to take a tent and he pitched it outside the camp some distance away. If holiness means to be set apart for God or set apart by God, I want to suggest what the scripture tells me is sometimes you got to get outside the camp. Now, I don't know if the camp means your family. I don't know if the camp means those you hang out with. Many times, believe it or not, I don't mean disrespect. The camp means the church. Because as a church, we have our own, our own culture and way we do things and our own programs and our own set of blah, 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 blah. And there'll be some young kid that'll say, hey, Pastor Tom, this actually happened to me. I want to go and I want to pray for every, I'm going to walk down my neighborhood and I want to pray for the sick. Would you just knock on every door with me and help me pray for the sick? Well, my religious structure at the time was like, that freaks me out a little bit. And I never went. And to this day, if I have any regrets, it's one of my biggest regrets is I didn't go with that kid. Because sometimes holiness takes us outside the camp, outside the normal, outside what's expected to something different. And Moses took this tent, and for whatever reason, he brought it outside the camp. Holy people aren't satisfied with sticking with the crowd. Holy people often go outside the camp. Holy people leave what most consider normal to find God, who's so abnormal. (laughs) Amen? I believe in our church you know, um, one, one of the privileges I get is just to be able to talk and interact with so many people. And in a church our size, um, um, I think it is a privilege. And a lot of times we come with our own opinions, and, and it's amazing to me to see people um, that are outside the camp people, love Jesus with everything they have, that are willing to say, no, no, I, God's got a call on my life, I know. And I know 
These are the things maybe I'm supposed to do, um, but this is where God's calling me. I'm called to this thing, and it may look different to you, Pastor Tom, but I know he's calling me over here, and I have to say yes to it. And I I just wanna celebrate that. I don't have to understand all that God's called you to do. If you tell me, hey, you know what, this is what God's called me to do, I'm following that voice, and it's my job to celebrate, equip you, you know, for the work of ministry and say, go for it. Amen? All right. The second one is it's intentional. I, I just, just put yourself in his shoes. Like he literally says, wherever they traveled, he had to go set up this tent of meeting, which in my mind is really funny. I, don't, I always think of him putting like a little sign on this tent of meeting. Um, but he had to put the tent up. He had to actually outfit this thing. And he's like, okay, just so you know, this is where we go when we inquire of God. It's intentional. Holiness doesn't actually come to us by accident. There is a partnership with God in being a holy people. And that partnership on our end is to be intentional and simply to say yes when God says, hey, this is what I want you to do. Do you know, um, I had a, a really easy definition for me of holiness is the Lord comes to us and he says, all right, Tom, um, I have some things that I would like you to do in your life, how you would live, and I, 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 want, you, I want you to say yes to all these things Um, would you just sign at the bottom line and say, yes, I'll do that? And then he hands me this paper, and it simply says, I agree to do the above terms. There's nothing up here. And I say, Lord, there's nothing on your page. He said, you sign it first, and then I'll fill in the rest. (laughs) Isn't that true? How many know that to be true in their own life? God, I don't understand why you're calling me to do this. And then on the other side of it, you're like, oh my goodness, he knew what he was talking about. A holy people sign on the, on the dotted line without, you know, having to know all the details. And the, and the last piece is a holy, uh, a holy people, um, they're outside the camp people, they're intentional people, but ultimately they're people who meet with God. The scripture actually tells us that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And if anybody should see the Lord, it should be his church. Amen? That's the truth. And I know in our church, one of the wonderful things that I love being a part of this church is we have people here at New Life who don't just come to church to check off a box. They come to church to meet with God. And there's something about worshiping together in song and in the word and in prayer that we know that we meet with God here in a special way. It's not the only way. There's other ways we can meet with God, but it's a beautiful way that we meet with God. And holy people meet with God. I think that's one of the reasons why it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself. Why? Because that's a holy thing to do. The crowd can sleep in. The crowd cannot come. But the Bible says, holy people do something different. They make a sacrifice. They're intentional. And when you do that, you meet with God. Amen. I say it's a, I just have this vision. I just, (laughs) of some of you guys, literally like little brush fires just burning. You're like, yeah, Pastor Tom, this is it. You are, you are preaching my language. And other people are, are like, I don't, I don't know. And I feel like saying, just get together. You'll catch their fire. <laughs> Why am I talking about holiness? Because it's the only, 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 only way to stay true in the culture we live in. We live in a culture that has zero absolute truth. We live, I hate to say this, and in, 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 I won't say the church, I'll just say with people who call themselves Christian who have zero absolute truth. 
And if we want to stay, like they're all over the scripture, it actually tells us we have to believe and persist. We have to have faith and remain. We have to, you know, surrender and don't give up. Like the idea is one prayer at an altar is a great starting point. But the Lord Jesus wants a people who will remain, be persistent. And at the end, when he does come, we're here to receive him with faith and honor. Amen? Amen. That's the truth. The scripture tells us that because iniquity, sin, lawlessness, lawlessness abounds in our day, that the love of many will grow cold. Sin actually will pull us away from the risen Christ. Let me tell you two things. Um, let's just bring it home. Uh, just so we know, this is a real issue. As a pastor in my walk, um, and I'll just say over the last year, I have talked with people in our church who have walked away from Jesus to go to sin. Not by accident, not even by addiction, which, but by choice. Now make no mistake, when we choose to sin, we choose to leave Jesus. Hebrews 12 talks about the struggle against sin. That is part of sanctification. Every one of us has to struggle against sin. We don't get saved and we're perfect. That's not how this walk works. But the walk works in such a way that we partner with God. We struggle. When we fall, we get up. We surrender. We go to friends and say, I can't get over this. This is, help me out, brother. Right? That's how the walk works. Hebrews 12 said, have you, have you struggled yet to the point of shedding blood? In other words, how hard have you really worked at this? God's going to come in by his grace and help us, but we have a part to play. But when we make a conscious choice to live in sin, recognizing it as sin, we have turned our back on Jesus. And that's a harsh thing to say in a culture that doesn't even believe sin exists. Amen? So I want to say as a church, I want to give you encouragement. Sin does exist. God's called you to be holy and you have every right to stand up against it. Not only can you stand up against it, the Lord's calling you out to say, you got this in my power, in my Holy Spirit, you're going you're gonna to stand strong. I'm going to cause you to stand. Oh yeah, but Lord, I'm getting pummeled on every end. Yeah, you are. But at the end, you're going to still be there standing. You might be beat up a little bit, but I'm going to have a holy people that is standing strong in the midst of it all. Well, I might lose my, you might. You might. All right. But I also want to tell you, this is really recent in a, a number of occasions, a number of instances that I've met people here at New Life Church who have literally looked sin in the eye, counted the cost, and made a decision to turn from sin to walk with Jesus. Amen? That's what we celebrate. Make no mistake, whenever we, there, there is a cost to living this life. Sin has its deceitfulness, sin has its pleasure, sin has all this stuff, but when we choose to live for Jesus, uh, the reward is so much greater. They've made a conscious decision to turn from sin, and sometimes they pay a price to do so. That's holiness. Now, uh, my last, I think, scripture here, yeah, is 2 Samuel 24, 24. I pray this scripture gives us encouragement. Um, all right. Why don't you stand with me? We're, we're a bit early, but we can get done early, can't we? I can keep talking if you want. All right, go for it. <laughs> All right, well, you know, those of us that want to hang out, we'll just chat. Uh, 2 Samuel 24, 24, I think is really important in our day. I just do, okay, I'm not going to go there. Okay, 24, 24, let's get there, find it. 
All right, so you have to understand, um, that's not even the verse I want. Let's start with 22, verse 22. I'm, I'm going to butcher his name. Arauna, I don't know how to say it. Said to David, uh, nope, I'm going to we, we went the wrong way. I'm going to start all the way back in 18. Can we do that? I have the wrong verse on my paper. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arauna, whatever his name is, uh, the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad, when Arauna looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And he said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? David answered, to buy your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. So David is responding to what the Lord's told him through this guy called Gad. And he said, I need, I need to have this plot of land and I want to buy it from you. Now this man, Arauna, I don't know, I'm sure I said that wrong, it just feels weird to say, said to David, uh, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Who would say that? To, who thinks, I'd probably say something like that if I could. If I could, I'd be like, king, take what you need, I'm good. Maybe, maybe you would. Here are oxen for the burnt offering. It sounds like this guy's got some resources. Here are the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for the wood. He's just being super generous. He's like, I want to I be a part of what God's doing. Your majesty... Um, Arauna gives all of this to the king. Um, he also said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. Verse 24, this is it. But the king replied to him, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I want to suggest to us that our holiness is something that may cost us something, but it is an offering that we give to the Lord because he deserves it. The reality is, um, from Scripture, we know that it can cost us not just family, friends, jobs, resources. It can cost us marriages. The Scripture talks about un unbelieving uh, spouses. Uh, it can cost us everything. It can cost you your life. It becomes an offering, though, that we give to God. And it's in that cost that the offering begins to have value. God, I am, I've counted the cost, and I recognize it. You know, that same gentleman I mentioned earlier who lived in Israel during one of the intifadas was telling me, like, we knew that when we won people who were Muslim to the Lord, we knew in many cases if they were to go right back and tell their family that they met Jesus, <clears throat> at least they'd be banished. Many times it could cost them their life. And so we'd work with them strategically to figure out, okay, when is the best time to make this proclamation? Because it makes no sense for you just to go back and be killed. But that is a reality for many. The beauty of living a holy life is in our decision to pitch the tent outside the camp. When we do, the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit. When we pitch our tent outside the camp, the Holy Spirit, or could I say, the Spirit of holiness comes in. It's what he does. He's here to help us this morning. And many of us are running. We've ran with this message maybe for decades that we want to be a holy people. May our prayer this morning be, Father, if there's any area of my life that you're calling me out of, let it be a yes for me this morning. If you're a believer and maybe you've come and you've, you've just begun to believe in Jesus and this message is a little bit new for you, I encourage you during this time of prayer to lift up your voice to God and say, God, is there any area of my life that you're calling me out of? Where can I, what can I put on this altar of my life to say, God, I'll, I'll give you this and see if he puts his finger on anything. 
As we take a moment to sing this morning, I want to declare over you a few truths from Scripture. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have been bought with a price and you are no longer your own. This morning, the Lord Jesus is for your freedom. He's for your deliverance. He's for your holiness. Romans 8 says he's for you. If God be for you, who can be against you? You're not left alone, he is with you. And if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you this morning. And I wanna pray one specific thing. You see, I am an old school uh, Pentecost loving charismatic maniac. That is my heart beat in the back. I love the gifts of the spirit. I love when God does the crazy stuff we can't understand and we get offended at. I'm okay with all that. But the older I get in Jesus, the more I realize that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is where he takes a bucket that is our heart and he immerses, that's what the word baptism means, he immerses that bucket into the Holy Spirit. And what do we come out with? We come out with the spirit of holiness. We're just filled with holiness. When you look at Acts chapter two, sure radical stuff happened, but you wanna know the most radical is they went, ran straight into death. And they said, I don't care. Out of, out of the first 12, I think 11 of them were martyred because they were holy men and women. And, and if we think, that anything else is worthy of the Lord, we're sadly mistaken. So today, if this word is encouraged in any way, stirred you up, I just invite you to lift your hands. I wanna pray for you. A very specific prayer that is out of Acts chapter two, the idea of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I love Lord tongues. I love you know, Father, I love the gifts of the Spirit and the power that we need as Christians. But before we pursue that power, I pray for a baptism of the Spirit of holiness and fire on a generation young and old that we would be willing to run this race no matter the cost and recognize that there is joy in the race once we say yes to Jesus, that we would sign our name at the bottom of, of your request without having to have the details filled in, trusting that you are good and that you are good and that you are good in every situation of our life. <laughs> and Lord, I thank you today for every man and woman in the sound of my voice who's being stirred by this message. I thank you that you're for them. I thank you that you are so for them. I thank you that with God, all things are possible. I think this morning about people even trapped in addiction, passionate, wanting to get out of it, doing all that they knew to get out of it. We, we, we stand with them in faith and say, God, bring deliverance. I think about relationships that are terrible, where they abuse one another. Father, but they want to be holy. Lord, let your deliverance come on them. Lord, let them be out the camps, out the, outside the camp type of people that would be willing to do whatever it takes to get free and treat each other well. Lord, we love you today. And may Jesus be magnified in our midst. In Jesus' mighty name. Why don't we just sing for a moment?